0: Reignite on RTE Radio 1 With AIB It takes
1: a certain kind of brave to run a business We see it We back it Guyanese-born Gina Miller is best known for taking two legal challenges against the UK government and winning. She's also a successful business owner and philanthropist. Gina, people will know you for those moments in 2017 and 2019, standing outside court, declaring victory at the height of Brexit. You've been fighting your whole life on lots of different fronts as a campaigning businesswoman, but you've taken a lot of abuse. Were you ever tempted to just stop?
0: Over the 30 years that I've been campaigning, I've had many moments when I've wanted to give up and literally been in tears. And that was specifically um, around the court cases, because the way it was being reported and the sort of hatred that was being stirred up against me led to death threats against myself and my family. And yes, at moments of, of real exhaustion more than anything, there is a temptation to give up. But then I'll sort of have a good cry, have a night's sleep, and then wake up refreshed again and remind myself, and this is something I've learned to do, is to think, well, what are those people so frightened of? Why are they abusing me? Is it because they have a genuine hate, or is it because they're hurting, or it's because of misunderstanding, or if it's conflicts of interest and they're trying to protect themselves? And that drives me to go on even more so I will take that hate and that negative energy and try and rechannel it in a positive way. But it, it isn't always easy. And there are sh- many, many moments when I feel like giving up, but I do then stand up again.
1: And maybe stepping back a little in time, Gina, it's fair to say you've had something of a squiggly career, a little bit unscripted like most of us. Um, After moving to England at 11 from Guyana, you took up a job cleaning hotel rooms at the age of 13. Is that where you get your uh, strong work ethic from? My
0: my work ethic comes from my parents as well, is that, you know, my mother used to say to us growing up that uh, don't take anything for granted. What you have could be gone tomorrow. Um, and I think that is something that, that I got from her. But for my father, you know, this was—he was a 14-year-old boy who couldn't read or write, saved up his money from serving petrol, and uh, took himself to law school, and then, as I said, to become Attorney General. And when you have parents like that who talk to us, and they talk, and I do the same with my children is I try and explain to them and talk to them about the hardships in life and the fact that you can't take things for granted. So that's just something that I think is embedded in my consciousness.
1: Your father clearly had a huge impact on you as an incredible role model. I'm struck that you may have been drawn a lot over the years to what might be perceived as male-dominated industries. You trained from the criminal Mm -hmm. bar. You were told it's not a place for women. You took a year out. You discovered the car industry curiously.
0: Yes, I seem to have been attracted to, um, uh, it would appear, (laughs) looking back, I don't tend to look back very often, but when I do, and especially when I was writing my book, Rise, I realized that I am attracted to male-dominated industries. And I think part of that is maybe unconsciously wanting to change things, because when I see doors closed, I have deliberately wanted to open them, especially in the field I find myself now in financial services, which I've been in since 1996. It is very much a macho male culture, and it is unfair because it's actually a very important industry, and it has a huge vocational role in society. And I think it's wrong that it's so discriminatory. So I do tend to take on those battles because I think it is only fair and right that we have equal representation in that sector or in the sectors that I've been in.
1: In later years, you wrote a business plan for your successful marketing consultancy business while living out of a car.
0: Yes. I mean, one of the things I I'm also talk about, and I think it's very important that I do it when people look at me and see me on a stage, is the fact that I'm a victim of domestic violence. I'm a survivor. And at that time... We were in a very different world. It was very difficult to get people to believe you. So in those days, you know, I just had to leave. I just had no other choice. So whilst I was figuring out how I would, you know, where I would go, how I'd survive, the safest place for me and my daughter was in our car, in a car. I had a little blue car and I would go from one car park to another in the evenings and stay there. So we did that for three weeks. And at the time when she was, she had special needs, so she'd be very frightened about the noise and the sounds of the night. So she'd bury her head into me, and whilst, and which meant that I really didn't sleep very much. I mean, I'm not somebody who sleeps very much anyway. So while my she was asleep, my brain would go into overdrive, and I'd think, right, what can I do? And and in my head, I literally mapped out a business plan over those three weeks.
1: Extraordinary. You're obviously somebody who in a crisis, in a moment of catastrophe, you can turn that into something optimistic, something very, very positive.
0: I didn't know that about myself and it's not anything that I thought I had. It just happens. And I I think over the years I've learned to be stronger. I've learned to be more resilient but there is something in me that, that uh, is quite defiant, I think, is probably the word, word that I, I refuse to be beaten. Um, and that I, I think I was just, I don't know if nature or nurture, but I think it was probably just born that way.
1: And what strikes me in all of that is you seem unafraid of failure then, that you're comfortable with ambiguity of making those changes in life, of taking bold risks and just going for it.
0: Yeah, I, I probably am a risk-taker. And actually, it's how I ended up in the car industry because I'm a bit of a petrol head as well. So I tend to, you know, I, I've been a free climber. I, I love driving cars very fast and, you know, I'm racing. And so I've done things that I think have an element of risk. But I'm not, I'm not a, a, I don't take irresponsible risk. And I'm not um, fearless. I know a lot of people think, sort of look at me and think I am. I'm actually very fearful. And so I'll take calculated risks. But I'll take. I, I know that I need to push myself, and and you know my, the way I I sort of taught myself to think is, what can people say if you if you put your head up above the parapet if you ask for something it'll be yes no or maybe but you know those are pretty good chances, <laughs> so I I sort of look at it from the point of view of you need to take some risk to get a reward
1: and as you mentioned earlier since 1996 you're working in the area of financial investments and continually struck in my own world of just how male dominated that looks particularly when it comes to investments in startups from vcs and the likes 50% of the population are women but those who are investing into startups led by women they're 90% plus male very often how problematic is that in a world where maybe women are listening to you today and thinking, yeah, I'd, I'd like to take one of those calculated risks that Gina is talking about and starting a business. What advice would you have for women who are thinking about turning an idea into action and pitching for investment?
0: Well, I'm really worried about this because um, both sides of the fence, if you like, the, the people who are decision makers in the city, the, the deal makers, if you like, there's stats that only came out a few weeks ago that show that only 8% out of 650 of the biggest deal makers in the city of London are women and only 1% are of black, which is extraordinary. After all the initiatives we've had over the last 20 or 30 years, those figures are a complete disgrace on the city. And then on, this, on the loan side, you know, access to capital, to venture capital, private equity, it's single digit for women-led companies. So things have got to change because at the end of the day, money is power and, you know, and it's about success. And if women don't have access to that? How are they going to grow businesses and really create change to build a better future, which is what I think needs to happen in capitalism? We need to have more women represented. And one of the things I find very frustrating is when I'm told, in the same breath as diversity and equality, that you know we need to have women in. Of course, there are all these tick boxes, there are all these wonderful words on their websites, but the data doesn't match up, and the reality is not there. And I'd say to women, do not take no for an answer. You've really got to push and uh, and demand to know why you're being refused, because. Many women who approach, will start a business and beg and borrow, if you like, for the first few years. And it's that growth stage of sort of three to five years when they then need external capital and they approach organizations and they're being refused and asked questions that men just simply would not be asked, but they already have a track record. And the reason they want a growth in capital input is because they've proven their business and their concept. So I think you've got to be really pig-headed and not let them shut that door. And expose them in, way, in some ways, and say, "Well, why are, you, why are you asking me these questions? What else can I prove? Would you be asking this of, 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 a, of a man who was sitting in front of you?" And I think we've just got to be respectful because I don't think you know you, you, you should be uh, aggressive, but I think you need to be forceful and demand an equal share of the money and an equal
1: chair at the table. It's probably fair to say with some of the statistics you quoted there that there is heightened awareness about those biases when it comes to women. But also when it comes to race, especially in this moment of of the Black Lives Matter uh, movement across the world, is that something you've experienced as a leader, as a thought leader, as a businesswoman? I have to say, sometimes I, I think I, I almost have to
0: laugh. Humour is very important to keep yourself sane. And I sort of laugh and think, well, you know, when I was going through the court case, it's a lot of the abuse I was getting then and a lot of the abuse I've got from the city from, you know, I've been a campaigner trying to bring transparency and a lot of the that that happen in the city and in institutions, financial institutions. And I think, well, you know, a woman of colour. <laughs> I mean, I really tick two of the, the hate boxes, if you like. My mindset is if they're attacking me because of my gender or my ethnicity and not the contents of my argument, then probably I'm onto something. Because if they were intellectually pushing back, then I could understand and I'd question my own motives and what it is I'm saying and my campaign. But that doesn't tend to happen. When it's a personal attack, I think I'm winning.
1: And in terms of maybe just final advice, uh, Gina, you talked earlier about not taking no for an answer. And one of the questions we're exploring today in the show is why me, why this, why now? And some people will respond, you know, to that and say, well, if not me, then who? And if not now, well, when? What parting words would you leave to people today who are just getting started with that question of why me, why this, why now? I'd say that
0: we all have collective responsibility, individual responsibility to decide what happens next and what the world looks like for ourselves and our future generations. And therefore, that's why it's you and why it's now, because we are an intersection in our history in the way we're globally connected and the fallout for what will happen from this pandemic on an economic and environmental and educational point of view. So it is up to all of us to be part of tomorrow. And I'd say if you accept that, you stand up and you make it happen.
1: Those are fighting words. Thank you, Gina Miller.